0: So we're on our third study here in Jonah. I'll pull up my notes. We're actually going to be finished in chapter one today. So imagine that. I made it through a whole chapter in three sermons. And three short sermons because they're Wednesday nights. But by way of review, let's let's remember our context here. That remember Jonah. being disobedient to the call of the Lord God called Jonah to go to Nineveh Jonah in his hatred for the Ninevites decides he's going to run from as the text says from the presence of the Lord and he heads west instead of heading east to Nineveh remember he went down to Joppa to board a ship that was headed to Tarshish Uh, while on the ship the Lord caused a great storm so bad of storm that the sailors thought that they were going to die experienced sailors thought they were going to die we saw the sailors they're calling first they called upon their fake gods right Um, and as we saw idolaters should have and really do have no hope their fake gods can't save them but while they were praying to their fake gods jonah was asleep in the bottom of the boat. So the, jo- the sailors finally go go to get Jonah up and bring him up and question him. Remember, they brought him up, they wake him up, and they question him. And he pretty much tells them, "Yeah, my God is in control of the seas, and I'm the reason for this storm. So just throw me overboard." If you could, if you could sum up kind of what Jonah tells them. But before the men threw him overboard, God, remember converts these men Um, and then they throw them overboard and following and they followed up by offering up prayer and sacrifice to the Lord so not only did God send Jonah to Nineveh so that he would display his mercy and grace to the Ninevites on the way through the disobedience of this prophet God saves a ship full of sailors as well And then they toss him into the sea and that's kind of where we're at right now Jonah is treading water right now right let's look at verse 17 of chapter 1 it says now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights this is the last verse in our chapter 1 here in our translations if you look in uh, Tanakh which is the Hebrew Old Testament if you look in the Septuagint which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament um, that's this would be actually chapter chapter 2 verse 1 but it's the last verse in our chapter here so our, our point right here is that the Lord controls the fish Jonah remember he is in the sea Amanda could you grab go back there and grab the remote and turn this off Jonah's in the sea and now the storm has stopped remember verse 15 and the sea ceased from her raging when once uh, Jonah went into the sea the sea ceased from its raging so the storm has stopped but even with no storm you nor I, nor Jonah could survive treading water in the sea for an extended period of time, right? So Jonah was at death's door. He's going to die in the sea. When the, when the sailors threw him overboard, they knew he was going to die, right? When Jonah says, throw me overboard, he knows I'm going to die. It's just, I'm going to die, but I don't want to take the rest of you guys with me. And now he's in the water and he's going to die. That's, that's the only thought he could have yet was it say the lord had prepared a great fish or some translations say appointed a great fish god in his own divine counsel declared that this fish come to jonah now this is not something new or extraordinary for god right remember in the garden he said adam to name the animals and it says The Lord brought them unto Adam so that he would call them, to see what he would call them. The Lord brought the animals to to Adam. Adam didn't have to go chase down the animals. What about Noah and the flood? It says, All the kinds of animals, two of every sort, shall come unto thee. It says that in chapter 6, verse 20 of Genesis. And then it says, And they went in, when in male and female of all flesh, as God has commanded, God brought the animals to Noah. Noah didn't have to go track down the animals. I'm sure you may have heard this argument some by somebody. Maybe if you're out there preaching in the streets, how did you, Noah go find all the animals? Well, God brought them all to him. and then they went into the ark, and God closed the door of the ark, as what we can see from the narrative there. So this is not something new or for God or extraordinary. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He controls nature. So him appointing a fish to come to Jonah is not anything too hard for God. Now it wasn't just appointed to come to Jonah and let him ride on his back or so, or anything like that, right? God could have easily done that too, right? He could have just came up underneath him and lifted him up and took him to land. That's, God could have did that, could he not? God appointed it to swallow Jonah. And at this point, let's stop for a moment and think about Jonah. He tried to run from the presence of the Lord. God caused a great storm. So much so that experienced sailors thought that they would die and then they had to throw him into the sea. Now Jonah is treading water and in his head, he couldn't be thinking of anything else, but this is the end. Why did I leave Israel and come out here to die? This is where I'm going to die. It's got to be the worst day in Jonah's life, right? If you had went through all that, would it not be the worst day of your life? It was probably the worst day of Jonah's life. But wait, Jonah, there's more. Here comes a fish, and it swallows you. I'm sure if Jonah at this point had something to throw or kick or punch, he probably would have, right? My day day is where I'm going to die in the sea, and then a giant fish comes up and swallows me. worst day of his life keeps getting worse. However, that's not really the case, though, is it? Jonah, no doubt, was going to die in the sea. The great fish, fish, which the Septuagint actually translates as a whale, was Jonah's salvation from death. God sent forth a fish to save Jonah. This is not God making things worse for Jonah. That had already happened on the ship. God caused the storm. God wouldn't allow the sailors to bring Jonah to shore. Now God is taking Jonah where he had already commanded him to go. And now the ship or the vessel by which Jonah is going to be delivered there is the belly of a great fish. So he went from a ship heading away from the presence of the Lord, as he thought, to the belly of this fish, back to where God originally commanded him. And he wasn't just in his fish fish's belly for a few moments, right? It wasn't like he, he gulped him in and, and he a few moments later spit him out. He had to camp there for three days and three nights. <laughs> Once again, imagine being in Jonah's shoes. This prophet of the Lord was already preaching. That's when he was a prophet. He was a prophet before God sent him to Nineveh. He was a prophet in Israel and he was already preaching. Yet God called him to go to Nineveh. And he hates the Ninevites. So he doesn't want to go. I don't want to go there, Lord. So he runs from the Lord. Only to end up in a ship full of scared sailors because of the storm that the Lord has caused. Then into the sea, which would be certain death. Now into the belly of this fish. All because he ran from the presence of the Lord in disobedience. So now he has to sit there for three days and three nights. I'm sure some of you probably have never done this before, but have you ever just sat for hours and thought? I mean with nothing. No phone, no television, no book, nobody else to talk to. Just sit and think. Now add to the fact that you've been disobedient to a clear command of the Lord. I've been disobedient. And now I have to sit here for three days and think about it, and three nights and think about it. Imagine if the Lord came to you and told you to do something, and you said, no, I'm running from this, and now you have to sit for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and think about it. That's where Jonah's at. God is displaying to Jonah that he will do his will. He can try to run from it, but even in running from it, God displayed his mercy to the sailors and now is displaying that he is the sovereign one. In other words, you can't run from me, Jonah. I control the land, the seas, and the fish. No matter where you go, Jonah, I'm there. And as one of my people, I will cause you to obey me. Jonah would have never turned back of his own volition however God's counsel shall stand God God's will overrules Jonah's will so here he is for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish due to his disobedience however this narrative we have here before us is not to end with Jonah Yes, this actually happened to a prophet named Jonah. However, this narrative points to one greater than Jonah, right? To the last and the greatest prophet. To the Lord Jesus Christ. Which takes me to my second point here. The sign of Jonah. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verse 38. It says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to, to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. the scribes and the Pharisees say they wish to see a sign from Jesus now mind you these people were not in favor of Jesus they did not like Jesus and in this very chapter alone, they try to kill Jesus in verse 14 they accuse him of being of Satan in verse 24 and right before They ask him this. Jesus calls them a generation of vipers and tells them that their words will condemn them. And then they ask for a sign. It's going real well for them, right? And then they ask, Jesus, can we see a sign from you? Now let's stop again and think. Today we're told that if only people had the evidence of Christianity, they would believe, right? Right? If only we could show them that Christianity is true, then they would repent. Or we hear, I know it's true because I saw a miracle. I know it's true because I saw someone's leg grow. I saw them healed of headaches. Couldn't Jesus have performed a sign for these men and they would believe? I mean, didn't Jesus want to save everybody? Why did did He not just perform a miracle and convince them? Because signs and miracles don't convince anybody. And Jesus came for His sheep. And these men were not His sheep, they were goats. And Jesus didn't come to entertain goats. And neither should we, right? He not only doesn't perform a sign for these men, He condemns their generation as being evil and adulterous. Now, this is somewhat of a side note here, but some want to argue that generation means race. This actually came up as a question when we were going through Matthew 24. Doesn't generation mean race? Does that apply here? Same book. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. First of all, the Bible doesn't teach us races, so we can throw that argument up just by that alone there's one race the human race and your color doesn't matter you're still human and we all came from Adam so but if the the word generation applies only race does it apply then it would apply to the Jews right that's what their argument is that it's talking about the Jewish race race but then Jesus says that an evil and adulterous generation will seek a sign Jesus is not calling all the Jewish race evil and adulterous. He was talking about that very generation right then. And like I said, when I, we were going through Matthew 24, he says it multiple times through this book. And it's always the same, this generation right here that I'm speaking to, you guys are evil and adulterous. So Jesus was not saying that all the Jews were evil and adulterous. He's saying your generation is evil and adulterous. In other words, you guys are not all Jews, but this present present generation of Jews. And why were they evil and adulterous? They slaughtered the Son of God. And that's what this is pointing to. That's the sign that's the sign he says no sign will be given to you but the sign of Jonah that's the sign that he's pointing to this evil and adulterous generation seeks after the sign the sign will be the son of man will be when the son of man raises from the grave three days after you murdered him notice also that the men of Nineveh shall rise and judgment with this generation will condemn it why because they repented why would that generation rise up in judgment because they repented they didn't see the signs right and yet they repented they never the the men of Nineveh never met Jesus to see a sign from him and they actually didn't even see the sign of Jonah they weren't there when the whale swallowed him he wasn't at Nineveh when this happened but in the Mediterranean Sea so They saw no signs themselves. The Ninevites, there was no sign for them. They did not see signs and wonders and healings and all this other stuff. And yet they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now the greater than Jonah is preaching repentance and they're trying to kill him. Jonah goes into a nation that hated the Israelites and preaches repentance and they repent jesus goes into his own nation as an israelite to his own people and they want to kill him the pharisees and scribes got no sign but the death burial and resurrection of christ which is the same sign that we have today however jesus declares that even that sign did not lead to the repentance Even that sign, he says, there's no sign given to you, but this sign, which is his death, burial, resurrection. That sign is going to be given to you. Even when that sign is given to you, you still don't repent. You know how I know that? Because it says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. So they they even saw, they saw the sign happen. The Ninevites never saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry. They never saw him die, resurrected, walk the earth, and ascend. Yet they repented. And the men that were there and saw all this stuff happen, and you know it says in, in um, Colossians and in Hebrews, that it was done openly. It was done for all to see. Jesus hung on that cross. For the whole nation of Israel could have seen that, and they all knew what happened, and they all know that three days later he rose from the grave. How did I know that they know that? Because what did Jesus's followers go do? They started preaching all over the place, and yet they still didn't repent. So they shall be condemned let's look at another verse just turn up to chapter 16 of Matthew here in verse 1. It's similar uh, he uses the same words in similar um, that are very similar but in a different context Matthew 16 1 the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowing. O you hypocrites! You can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it. But the sign of the prophet Jonah... And he left them and departed. Now, Jesus is condemning them for not being able to discern the times. That's what his condemnation was right there. You can't, tell the, you can't tell the times? What were the times he was talking about? He was talking about what was coming the end of the age, the day of the Lord that was coming. Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. And it wasn't as though this was new information. This was information that was given to them in the Old Covenant that they all knew about, right? Elijah had come and prepared the way of the Lord. And remember in Matthew chapter 3, I think it is, 3 or 4, I think it's 3. It says the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Judgment was about to happen. I just was talking to another brother the, uh, the other day about this. and. I brought this out when I was teaching this so as we're going through Matthew 24 that when it says the axe is laid at the root of the tree means judgment is about to happen it does not mean that the, the the person cutting down the tree is about to go to the store to get the axe it doesn't mean that he's sharpening his axe it means the axe is about to cut the tree down it's about to happen and what were they doing they were going about eating and drinking And being married when scripture was clear that when Elijah came who Jesus said John the Baptist was then God was going to destroy Jerusalem he was going to destroy that old system and bring bring in that new system set up that new system so let's not miss this language here in verse 1 it says they desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven they ask him to show them a sign from heaven does this sound familiar Jesus uses the same language in Matthew 24 and it's a fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 Jesus says in Matthew 24 and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and almost immediately after he uses that same language that same kind of language He uses the same language to discern the times because He gives them a parable of the fig tree, right in Matthew 24. That you will see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then He gives them a parable of the fig tree and says, if you can discern the parable of the, the fig tree, you should be able to discern the times. And these men were oblivious to it. They thought they knew the Scriptures, but they are ignorant of the Messiah. And Jesus condemns them for it. Now listen, they had already had many signs given to them. Of course, they knew of all the signs and wonders that Jesus was doing. Remember, they wanted to kill him for healing people. He just did it in this the the same chapter we just looked at. They wanted to kill him for healing people. Remember, he rose Lazarus from the dead? And what did the Jews do? What did they do? Oh, we repent and believe. No. Let's find a way to kill this guy. He's raising people from the dead. Those were clear signs. And they rejected them. Then Jesus tells them that their only sign will be that the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Then their final sign would be the sign of the Son of Man in heaven which meant their destruction the opposite of the Ninevites they had Jonah show up in Nineveh smelling like fish imagine that smell three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and then he had to hike to Nineveh and he goes there smelling like a fish and he's preaching repentance though he was reluctant and disobedient. The first century Jew had Jesus come to them, and he's feeding people fish, right? Out of nothing. Ex nihilo. There's some new fish for you. And he comes preaching repentance as the obedient servant. The Ninevites repented. That's this stinking prophet that just showed up that literally just says, repent. And the Jews perished. That's a sad but true narrative of them. So what can we see from this? That men don't just repent from seeing signs. Jesus taught us this with the rich man of Lazarus, right? The rich man says, They'll surely repent if one raises from the grave. Remember that? Send somebody to My brothers. If somebody raised from the graves and goes to My brothers and tells them, they'll surely repent. What does Jesus tell them? Tell the rich man. He said they have Moses and the prophets. What does that mean? They have the Scriptures. They have the Old Testament. You have, they have the Scriptures. If they won't hear the Scriptures, neither will they be persuaded the one raised from the dead. And was this true or not? The sign of Jonah was of a risen Savior, yet these men didn't repent, and then they saw the sign of the Son of Heaven, Son of Man in heaven, and they mourned before their destruction. Signs don't bring about repentance. So what does this all mean for us though? Well, the first point on, on this application would be god's chastisement is our salvation now say salvation not in the sense of justification but in the same sense that this whale was for jonah's salvation it wasn't because of the whale that jonah was justified before god it was only through the person and work of jesus christ however this whale was a real salvation for jonah a salvation from death from sleeping with the fishes right and in a real sense, God saves us from death through his chastisement of us and to us. What is chastisement from? It's from sin, right? And we get chastised because of our sin. And what are the wages of sin? Death. You say, but I'm a Christian, my sin doesn't affect me like that. Then why did John write to Christians, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask him to shout, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death? There is a sin unto death. That's what John says. You ever have God chastise you? Maybe on a Sunday morning before communion? Maybe it's so that you didn't die while you were partaking it. You ever start to have anger swell up in you, and that might turn to hatred, yet God chastise you in that? Maybe because that hatred will kill you. Jonah here is being chastised in a way that none of us will ever know, probably. I don't know if any of us... Actually, I just watched a video a few months back of somebody getting swallowed up by a whale. It didn't last very long, though. But hopefully none of us get chastised like that, right? Yet, this chastisement was good for him, and as we've seen, it was actually good for the others around him as well. Due to the chastisement, a full ship of sailors are in heaven today, praising Christ. And now he's headed back to Nineveh where we know God is going to be merciful to a people there as well so chastisement is good it says for the Lord loves whom the Lord loves he chastises so the flip side of that is true as well right whom the Lord doesn't chastise he doesn't love So, brethren when we receive chastisement from the Lord it comes at the end of a loving and gracious hand and we ought to praise God for it even if we're in the belly of a whale and our last point here we not only have the sign of Jonah but we have the sign of the Son of Man in other words brethren We have all the signs that we need for this present age. I don't need to heal somebody or raise somebody from the dead for people to believe. I don't need to call down fire from heaven. I don't need to walk on water. I don't need to to do what I heard one so-called faith healer say. I know this is true because they raised their chicken from the dead. We don't need signs and wonders. We have all that we need in Christ. We don't need prophets of the Lord because according to Hebrews, that time is past. We have everything that we need in the person and work of Christ. I don't need to raise somebody from the dead for them to believe. I need to preach the gospel to them. Jesus said if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't listen if one rise from the dead. The Apostle Paul says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Gentiles seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. In other words, we aren't giving them their signs. We give them Christ. It's the same thing Jesus said to them, right? Their sign was Jesus Christ, dead, buried in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and resurrected. That's the sign. That's the sign that we preach. That's the sign that we seek after not some miraculous sign that we perform but the miraculous sign that was performed two thousand years ago it's through this sign that God does the miraculous today and raises spiritually dead people and gives them life it's not through the stretching out of somebody's leg but through the preaching of the gospel you say but they won't believe unless I perform a miracle is God not sovereign Can he not cause the deaf to listen? Can he not raise up dead, dry bones to live? Can he not break the pride of the stiff-necked? He most certainly can, and our calling is to preach this sign, not perform them. So let's go forth into our Nineveh and preach repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater than Jonah. Amen.